Interactive Radio. You are listening to Texas History Lessons, a slow walk through Texas history made in Texas by a Texan for everyone everywhere. Welcome to Texas History Lessons. I'm Michael. And in this lesson, we're going to continue our slow walk back through Texas history, looking at the events that led up to the creation of the Spanish Empire, which Texas was a part of. Once known as the Pillars of Hercules, the Strait of Gibraltar is the narrow gap between Europe and Africa that connects the Atlantic Ocean and its 41 million square miles of waters the Mediterranean Sea's 2.5 million square miles of water. To the north is the Iberian Peninsula with Europe expanding out beyond and to the south across the strait is Morocco. Before it became known as the Strait of Gibraltar it had been known as I said as the Pillars of Hercules by the ancients. The Romans had called it Fratum Gaditanum meaning Strait of Cadiz. And before a certain event that we are about to learn about, the Muslims had called it as Zucaic, meaning the passage. At its narrowest, it is 8.1 miles, or 7 nautical miles, if you must know. And even though I have not yet been there, I've heard that on a clear day, you can stand on the coast and see across from Africa to Europe and vice versa. Just over 1,300 years ago, in the year 711 A.D., a man named Tariq stood on the shore of modern Morocco with an army of about 10,000 warriors. And he must have looked across the strait wondering what the future held for him. Greatness and glory or defeat and death. Across the straits lay the Iberian Peninsula, a territory of land held previously by the Romans since 19 B.C. until the 400s A.D., when Germanic tribes began invading in 409. And over time reigned over the entire peninsula. The Visigoth kings held power from then on until this point in the early 700s with the arrival of Islam. After having a revelation that he was a successor to Abraham, Moses, and Jesus. In 610 AD, when he was about 40 years old, Muhammad had started sharing the message of the five pillars of Islam, which are, you must say or acknowledge there is no God but Allah, and Muhammad is the messenger of Allah. Second is, pray five times daily facing the direction of Mecca. The third is to give alms generously to the poor, and the fourth is fast from daybreak to sunset during the whole month of Ramadan, and five, make a pilgrimage to Mecca once in your life, if able. From this message grew the civilization of Islam, which is a fusion of Christian, Jewish, Zoroastrianism, and Arab religious elements, and Greco-Roman and Persian Mesopotamian administrative cultural, and scientific elements. 
From the 600s to 1000 AD, Muslim warriors united all the territories from the Pyrenees to India and from Morocco to Central Asia under the Star and Crescent. Along with the military expansion came cultural achievements as Islam synthesized the achievements of the preceding Judaic, Persian, Mesopotamian, and Greco-Roman civilizations. After his ajira to Medina in 622, Muhammad had led a theocratic state based on his revelations. One important thing that must be pointed out, Islam was a religion and a political system with no split between the religious and the secular. With beginnings raiding Mecca caravans, a popular economic activity among the Arab tribes, Muhammad's followers grew in numbers, and in 630 he captured Mecca and the black stone in the Kaaba, and that became Islam's chief shrine. By the time he died in 632, most Arab tribes recognized his supremacy and leadership. In time, raiding parties grew into full-scale armies, and within a hundred years of his death, his followers had built an empire across Eurasia, spreading his ideas. They pushed west into Egypt and east into Persia, then into North Africa, all the way to Morocco, which leads us to Tariq, standing on the shore, looking across to Hispania, the Iberian Peninsula. The current situation centered on what has been described as a civil war in the Iberian Peninsula. A new king had come to the throne recently. His name was Roderick. I've seen a variety of explanations for the unrest involving Roderick having maybe played a role in the death of the most recent king, Witiza, or that he had usurped King Witiza. According to Dr. Joyce E. Salisbury, an expert in medieval and Spanish history, in 710, Visigothic Spain divided because of a rivalry over the throne. Roderick, according to Dr. Salisbury, had been elected king in defiance of King Witizia's desire that his son, Aquila, succeed him. Aquila moved to the northeast of the peninsula and declared himself king. Preparations for war against Roderick began. While in July of 710, that same year, about 400 Muslims sailed from Africa to the place we call the Rock of Gibraltar. They landed unopposed and then returned home across the strait. This leads us to Tariq ibn Ziyad on the shore of North Africa. There is a city on the coast of Africa to this day, a Spanish city named Ceuta, C-E-U-T-A, and it was a Spanish city in 711 also. According to Spanish legend, when Roderick had gained the throne, a nobleman of Suta, Julian, had sent his daughter to the Spanish court for an education. The story varies about what occurred, but none of them are good. Whatever happened angered Julian of Suta so much that he encouraged and aided the invasion of the Iberian Peninsula by Tariq and his Moorish army. In his History of the Event, Edward Gibbon, the historian most known for his epic, The History of the Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, he wrote, quote, 
If we inquire into the cause of his, Julian's treachery, the Spaniards will repeat the popular story of his daughter, Cava, of a virgin who was seduced or ravished by her sovereign, Roderick, of a father who sacrificed his religion and country to the thirst of revenge, end quote. It is also a measure of speculation that Julian also supported the rival, or one of the rivals to Roderick, and hoped that by getting the aid from the Moors, all would be well. Whatever the actual case, what did happen was not well for any of the aspiring Visigothic kings. In the spring of 711, Tariq ibn Ziyad, governor of Tangier, crossed the strait with a force of somewhere 7,000 to 10,000 Berbers, North Africans, and landed on the western side of the northern Pillar of Hercules. From then on, the strait and the rock would be known as the Strait of Gibraltar and the Rock of Gibraltar. Why? Gibraltar is derived from the Arabic name for the place Jabal Tariq, meaning Tariq's Mount. Tariq built a fortification on the rock, and from then on, he launched the conquest of the Iberian Peninsula. So Gibraltar is named after him. Tariq's superior, Musa ibn Nusayr, arrived by 712 with another army, and together they were very successful in conquering what the Moors called Al-Andalus. They themselves did not get to see the results of their efforts because they ended up being recalled in 714, and others continued on with their cause. And eventually, the Muslim armies of North Africa succeeded in conquering almost all of Al-Andalus, with the exception of one holdout, a chieftain named Peleo, who withstood the invasion with his small band of Christians in the far, far north. In 718, Peleo defeated Muslim forces at the Battle of Covadonga. This was the first Christian victory against the Muslim onslaught across Iberia, and some consider it to be the beginning of the Reconquista. From these meager holdings, Spaniards would launch the Reconquista. Slowly, Christian crusaders and frontiersmen would eventually win back the peninsula as the kingdoms of Portugal, Castile, and Aragon slowly emerged over the next eight centuries. In the east, by 715, the Muslims had conquered the province of Sindh in northeastern India, and they defeated the Chinese at Talas in Central Asia by 751. By 720, Al-Andalus had come into being with the Muslims, having control of most of Iberia, except for the already mentioned far northern Christian holdout area. The Moors had pushed on into the Pyrenees and into France, where they faced defeat against Charles Martel, at the Battle of Tours in 732. The Pyrenees and the Sindh were the limits of Islamic expansion. Apart from discriminatory taxes against them, non-Muslims in this empire were mostly left undisturbed to live their lives. And this was the case in Spain for the Christians and the Jews. In 750, the Umayyad dynasty, which reigned over a 7,000-kilometer empire, was overthrown by the Abbasids in Damascus. An Umayyad prince named Abd al-Rahman 
fled Damascus, and in 756, he conquered Cordoba in Spain. And it was in Cordoba that the Moors constructed the great mosque, and his heirs would rule Al-Andalus independently for more than 200 years. It was a period where Jews and Christians, I repeat, were free to practice their faith, and education and learning flourished. Under Islam in Spain, in Al-Andalus, civilization made advancements in science, astronomy, mathematics, geography, poetry, literature, and medicine. And they put forth the effort to secure and protect ancient learning by translating and transmitting these ancient works. But like the Roman Empire had been before, the Islamic Empire reached a peak and then went into decline. This began with Abd al-Rahman's arrival in Spain. Morocco and Tunisia followed. The Christians to the north had not given up their hopes and dreams of reclaiming the lands that they believed rightfully theirs. A man named Alfonso III became king of Asturias in 756 and established court in Oviedo, and he adopted the Visigothic courtly practices. The area of the largely uninhabited Duero Valley separated Al-Andalus from Christian Spain. And then there came the news that the remains of St. James were found in northwestern Spain in modern-day Santiago de Compostela in Galicia. And that invigorated Christian faith, and that site became a site for pilgrimage, and it also became an inspiration for retaking the peninsula and spreading the Christian faith. The Franks captured Barcelona in 801, and the Muslims repulsed a Viking attack at Lisbon and Seville in 844. In 886, Asturias King Alfonso began moving south and settled the Duero Valley with Christians from the northern mountains. The Reconquista slowly moved on. As historian Herbert E. Bolton wrote, by 910, the Christians in the north had established the kingdoms of Leon and Navarre and the county of Barcelona. When the Christians established the kingdoms of Leon and Navarre in 910, Abdel Rahman III came to power, and in 929, he took the title of Caliph, or Caliph, which meant he was a spiritual and temporal ruler of the Muslims. One of his successors, Al-Hakum II, built a library of 400,000 books in Cordoba. And the death of Al-Hakum II a few years later in 976 resulted in an accelerated period of deterioration for the Spanish Caliphate and another opportunity for the Reconquista to advance. By 1031, the caliphate was abolished and replaced with over 30 tiny states across Al-Andalus. Who ruled over these states? Arabs, Berbers, the original Iberians, and Slavs. This was a significant moment, allowing the Christian states of the north to increasingly push and expand southward. As Bolton continued from the previous quote, by 1037, Leon and Castile had united and conquered a wide tract south of the Douro River. Aragon, originally a Frankish country, had also become an independent kingdom. 
the Christian kingdoms expanded into the fragmented Al-Andalus, and by 1085, Alfonso VI had captured Toledo. It's important to note here that this was not a constant state of war of Christian against Muslim. When the situation called for it, Christian kingdom and Muslim state would ally against common enemies, meaning at times Christian and Muslims would fight against Christians, or Muslims depending on the goal. And remember, the Spanish national hero, El Cid, or El Cid, I'm not sure exactly on the correct pronunciation of that, he at times also did fight for Muslim leaders. The extreme religious fervor would start to grow, though, and a result in what state of affairs we found in 1492. Again, reading from Bolton, by 1150, almost two-thirds of the peninsula had been conquered. Portugal now extended from the Mino River to the Tagus. Castile occupied the central region, and Aragon had incorporated Barcelona and Catalonia. In the early 1100s, a fundamentalist group of Muslims, called the Almoravids, crossed over from Morocco and took over the Muslim states of Al-Andalus, except for the Balearics. These people were then replaced by a different group of fundamentalists, the Almohads, from the Atlas Mountains and their empire stretched from Ghana to Aragon. Now, finally, by 1212, Christian kings defeated the Almohad army at the Battle of Las Navas de Tolosa, and this was an important moment in the Reconquista. The Muslim forces were on the verge of retaking much of what the Reconquista had gained, but King Alfonso the eighth of Castile was joined by the armies of his rivals, Sancho the seventh of Navarre and Peter the second of Aragon. And together they routed the larger army of the Muslims. By 1236, most of Al-Andalus had been conquered by the Christian kingdoms. And in 1238, Ibn al-Amar established the Nasrid dynasty in Granada. The kingdom of Granada from this point on, would remain as the last remnant of Al-Andalus for over 250 years, ending when Castile and Aragon, working together since the marriage of Isabella and Ferdinand, finally put an end to their power on the Iberian Peninsula in 1492. Now let's turn our attention to some of the effects of the Reconquista So, for many centuries after the Islamic invasion of the Iberian Peninsula, Spain had a very interesting period of coexistence of Christian, Muslim, and Jewish communities. The Reconquista brought an end to that. The years and years of the Reconquest created a religious militancy on both sides. The religious identity and ties to the church filled pretty much every part of Spanish life. The fight against Muslim control over the peninsula had placed an emphasis in the kingdoms on the military aristocracy and the church element. As Stein and Stein say in their book, The Colonial Heritage of Latin America, while other European nations were questioning concepts and practices of privilege, of the absolute state, of the church militant, 
of private trust, of public power, of bullion, rather than production of wealth, these institutions and attitudes took new root in Spain and would take root in Spanish America. The long process of reconquering the peninsula and replacing Al-Andalus with Hispania had many consequences. The domination of the peninsula by the Muslims kept feudalism from gaining maturity in Christian Spain. The class differences of feudalism that developed in much of Europe did not occur so much in Spain. The constant state of warfare equalized social distinctions. And in each of the Christian states, the war against the Muslims placed a greater role on the king as the military leader of the Reconquista. The Moorish invaders had established a tradition when they invaded of surrendering one-fifth of the spoils of war to the monarch. The Christian fighters adopted this same tradition, and as they fought to reclaim territory, they surrendered one-fifth to the crown. This added to the power and wealth of the monarchs, and this practice would continue after 1492 in America. Of the several Christian states pushing back the Moors, none was greater than Castile. Castile was the heartland of Spain, and it stretched from the northern parts of the peninsula to the central plateau. In Castile, the Reconquista had become a way of life. Great value was placed on the warrior's traits of valor, tenacity, intrepidness, and survival at any cost. Social station took second place for the conquistador that evidenced these qualities. And these are the values that would be carried across into the New World, into Mexico, South America, into Texas, as these conquistadors carried on tradition started during the Reconquista. The Reconquista, especially in Castile, was essentially a religious crusade. Remember back, this was the same time that the Crusades were going on across Europe in trying to reclaim the Holy Land. I remember growing up and reading constantly about Richard the Lionhearted fighting the armies and the knights and all the battles that were going on in Robin Hood, of course, is in this time. Well, this was happening at the same time. It was essentially also a crusade. Now, as I said earlier, in 900 AD, Spaniards believed that they had discovered the burial site of Santiago, the name for St. James the Great in northern Spain. This discovery further inspired Spain's religious enthusiasm because tradition held that James had brought Christianity to the Iberian Peninsula. The crown allied with the Catholic Church, and the Church responded by teaching the importance of supporting the crown and reclaiming the lands from the Muslims. This alliance benefited the clergy with numerous social and political privilege. This relationship would continue into the New World also. Catholic religious orders like the Franciscans and Dominicans had started their efforts to convert Spanish Muslims by the 13th century. Franciscans would largely be active later on trying to convert Spain's new citizens as they looked at them. 
the indigenous peoples of Mexico and South America and in Texas. Beyond the military and religious worlds, the Reconquista resulted in agricultural changes too. During the Reconquest, Castilians increased the raising of sheep. Sheep produced higher and faster profits than grown crops, and the sheep could be moved from danger during the period of constant warfare. Crops, of course, were at the mercy of whomever happened upon them and could be stolen or burned. Iberians imported Merino sheep from northern Africa in 1280 and bred them with their native sheep. This turned into a very profitable venture because the new strain produced a very nice superior wool that international merchants were very happy to pay for. Cattle raising flourished in reconquered southern Castile and Andalusia. The cattle raised by Andalusian lords gained a reputation for their high-quality beef and hides, and the roots of American cattle raising and in Texas were developed here as well. Vaqueros in Iberia seasonally launched cross-country drives to move their cattle from northern summer grazing lands to winter southern pastures and then back again. This, in essence, was a precursor to what would eventually be the long drive from Texas in the 1860s and 70s. Already the distinctive dress and equipment of the Vaquero was developing. The cattle ranching traditions of the Rodeo Roundup and branding calves originated in southern Castile and Andalusia. During the Middle Ages, Reconquista, while various European cities suffered economic downturns, Spain's urban centers developed and consolidated the gains of battle. The king would reward supportive towns with charters, guaranteeing protection to the town's inhabitants of their individual possessions and privileges. They even were allowed to form a self-governance that would travel across to the Americas. Ayuntamientos, town councils, elected town officials, and hermandades, brotherhoods of townspeople, maintained the peace. So by the late 1400s, when the reconquest was almost complete, instead of success and celebration... Christian Spain ended up being on the verge of civil war. There was a succession crisis in Castile, and aristocratic houses began readying private armies to seize control. The well-thought-out marriage of Ferdinand, heir to the throne of Aragon, to Isabella, Queen of Castile, in 1476, ended the crisis. Their marriage created a powerful alliance that forced peace on their unruly subjects. Now, this marriage was not a rushed affair. Many issues had to be considered, and many decisions had to be made. Some decisions were made for Ferdinand and Isabella, but ultimately with their approval. As the great historian John Eliot writes in his amazing book, Imperial Spain, Inevitably, there was about the marriage a dynastic logic which reached back to a period long before they were born. 15th century Spain was divided among three Christian crowns, Castile, Portugal, and Aragon. The great medieval line of the kings of Aragon had come to an abrupt end in 1410 with the death of Martin I. 
and in 1412 the problem of the Aragonese succession had been settled by the Compromise of Casp, which placed on the Aragonese throne a junior branch of the Castilian House of Trastamara. From the time of the accession of Ferdinand I, in 1412, thereafter, the neighboring crowns of Castile and Aragon were essentially ruled by two branches of the same Castilian dynasty. Might not a judicious marriage one day unite these two branches and so bring together beneath a single monarch two of the three Christian blocks within the Iberian Peninsula? Well, that was a good question, Mr. John Elliot. And the answer to the question resulted in the answer of yes. There might be a judicious marriage to unite these two branches, but Isabella and Ferdinand would be the monarchs of their respective kingdoms. In time, as we'll see, the issue of a single monarch would be resolved. But we're going to get to that in the next lesson. Let's take a short break to thank Age of Radio, and then we'll be back with some closing thoughts, um, some announcements about the future, and a song by a new Texas History Lesson Spotlight artist. All right, well, in the next lesson episode, we are going to be continuing our look at the end of Reconquista, Ferdinand and Isabella, and the moves and changes that have been happening in the area that led to Columbus and his famous voyage of 1492. And we'll be looking at the birth of Spain and what this all meant for eventually the people that would settle in the New World, in the Empire of Spain, especially in Texas, our number one point of interest. So we'll be looking at that in pretty good detail. And believe me, we are getting close to actually setting foot on Texas soil in this podcast, going back to the indigenous peoples that we left from part one, when we visited them before we took this voyage across the sea to see what was happening leading up to 1492. Uh, it's getting close. Pretty soon we'll be, we're going to be hitting the shore with Cabeza de Vaca and the others pretty soon, marching with Coronado. But that's something that's going to happen in the near future. Don't forget. I've been doing occasionally Daily Dose of Texas History. I haven't missed one yet. I might end up missing one soon. I've got some jury duty or something that's coming up. Um, it's been fun. I've enjoyed it. Share the show with other people, though. Uh, that's the best thing you can do to help me. But I do want to thank all the Patreon supporters that have been helping. Uh, been a really supportive group of people that have stayed with me. And... The financial support does matter. It does help. So I want to appreciate all of you, Jay, Ron, Kay, Brenda, Rama, Tim, Josh, Johnny, and uh, Indy, and a newest supporter, Erica. Thank you. If you don't want a long-term commitment like signing up for something like that, just you can click on the show notes uh, and buy me a cup of coffee if you appreciate the show, especially the new ones I've been doing on a daily basis, a shorter version of what I'm doing with the lessons. And as usual, I do have some podcasts to recommend for your listening pleasure. 
As always, Wild West Extravaganza, the History Cafe podcast, both guys do a great job. Of course, Judge Wise's Wise About Texas, the standard in Texas history podcast. He is doing great work. He's doing stuff on YouTube also, from what I understand. Uh, speaking of Texas history podcast, there is also a podcast that I learned about recently that's pretty amazing. It's called Galveston Unscripted. It's a great podcast about one of my favorite places in the state. And it's also a brilliant idea, turning a podcast into a travel guide with an interactive map. So definitely check it out and learn something cool with each episode. Some of us need to get together and maybe start doing something like that for the whole state. It's a pretty clever idea, and it would be pretty fun. And there's also the great Tales from Atlantis podcast. They delve into breaking myths of pseudo-history and pseudo-archaeology. Really learning a lot from those couple of guys, their podcast is very, very informative and it's encouraging me to do a better job on this podcast by looking at uh, different perspectives and trying to have a better understanding. Of course, music listeners, you've always got Hymns of the Highway by Chris Rev Waterman, Aaron Lee Bentley's excellent Off Mic, Off the Record, and Blake Farrar and Texas River Tonk. The podcast that originates on a San Marcos radio station, KZSM. So each of these shows have great interviews and share great music. Speaking of great music, we're going to be ending the show with a new song by Texas History Lesson Spotlight artist Jason Harrell. And to tell you the truth, ending the show and picking out a song is kind of difficult. Luckily, Jason has a lot to choose from. He has some excellent albums that I've been listening to. 2018's More Than I Was, 2021's Other Side. He's got a new single, The Boys My Mama Raised, which I almost decided to play today because it's a great song. He's got tons of singles out there. If you want to go through, check out Spotify and check out music anywhere you listen to music and you'll find his, I believe. But I'm going to go back to the More Than I Was album and play a song from it that really struck me. This is called Free. And so enjoy this music from Jason Harrell. There'll be more from him in the future, as well as from some other Texas Spotlight artists. Be sure to check out Daily Dose of Texas History when you can. And every day there's a different song by a different artists there as well. So thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening. Share the show. Leave a review. Subscribe. Whatever you can. Best thing you can do to help the show, though, is just share it, download it, give it to somebody else. Say, hey, check this out if you enjoy it. If you're listening on a regular basis like a lot of you are, do that. Thank you. So take care of yourself. Take care of each other. Be kind. Happy Eid. Adios. I remember you as a child running free for a while. We were boys behaving just like boys. There was a dark cloud over you And it ran down its black and blues On your back and on your arms and on your joy In the name of God above You were never spoiled by too much love The rod and the belt buckle at home I can't say I know the cause But it shouldn't have been how it was for you
Your daddy known by everyone Lie more than anyone Your mama just as hard as they come We all went to church for a while Then we stopped for a longer while I guess we never really made it back If grace was ever shown to you It was not enough to get you through Maybe like you Somehow jumped the tracks and I don't know if you did what they say you pay your whole life either way And I wish things had turned out differently You once again a boy Things that turned out 